We are in the book of Nehemiah. Um, it's quite a story. So Ezra and Nehemiah in the Bible, in the Old Testament, they're both basically telling the same story uh, from different perspectives. Nehemiah was part of, uh, you know, this, this Israel, Jewish people that were removed from their home, right? So removed, they were conquered, essentially, removed from Jerusalem. And in Nehemiah's case, he was uh, placed in service of the king of Persia, okay? So now he was given the job of cupbearer, cupbearer. And so cupbearer, I mean, if you can imagine Nehemiah's first day on the job, they're like, hey, Nehemiah, you know, like, what did you used to do in Jerusalem? Okay, it doesn't matter. Tell you what, you're going to be cupbearer for the king. He probably goes, oh, okay, what, what, is, what does that entail? And they're like, okay, so you're going to taste this uh, for the king before he drinks it. And if you die, we just know it's poisoned. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, quite the job description. But that's ultimately what the cupbearer was doing. Now, that's the, the negative side of the job, you know, pot, potential poisoning. But the positive side of the job is being in the presence of the king. Being in the presence of the king. And this is where God was so precise with Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah, it seems by you know, reading the book that he was generally a, a pretty happy-go-lucky guy. And the reason I say that is because um, the one time that he was kind of a little bit down, he had heard, actually someone had told him about the condition of Jerusalem. The walls were broken down. It was in rubble. His hometown was without protection from its enemies. And he, was, he took it hard. And, and he was down. He was down in the presence of the king, which is a little bit of a risky thing to do. In fact, it says in the book of Nehemiah, he was like, the king recognized that I was down. You know, he's like, why are you so downcast? And then he prayed. He was like, oh gosh, I hope this doesn't go so bad. Like the king's noticing that I'm down here today. Well, it went well. It went well. And it's part of God's story. So the king asked him, why are you, why are you so downcast? And he said, the walls of my home city, Jerusalem, are in, sh- in shambles. It's crumbled. It's without defense. And the king goes, what do you need? And he goes, well, I'll need, you know, some time. Like, and the king goes, how much time? How, much, how many resources? The king writes him a little recommendation letter and goes, here is safe passage back to Jerusalem. Go rebuild the walls. Here are the funds you need to buy the resources that you need. And so Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem. He kind of rallies the people together. And that's where we find ourselves in Nehemiah 4 today. And actually, the big idea today, the thing that we see in chapter 4, probably more than anything, is opposition. Every good work faces opposition. So we are going to jump right in there, Nehemiah 4, and it'll come up on the screen as well. If you want to pull it up on your Bibles, you're welcome to do that. Nehemiah 4.1, Sandoval was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and in front of the Samaritan officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? 
Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah piles on here. Here comes Tobiah. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked on top of it. What an insult. Jeez. But here's here's the kicker right here. What does Nehemiah do? He prays. Then I prayed, hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not block out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Hmm. It's a different prayer. It's an honest one, right? I've felt that way sometimes. Like, oh, smite them. No, I mean, I know. But it really, this is something that I really wrestled with. Because this is a prayer of him cursing someone else. And so when I read things like this in the Bible, there's a couple of things that, that, that I do. One of them is to go, okay, what, what is the context here? And then another, a mentor of mine years ago, he said this to me, and I think it's absolutely appropriate. When you're reading the Bible, there are two ways to look at a, a moment or verse, whatever. One is, is this prescriptive? Is it being prescribed to me as a way of doing thing, things? Or is it descriptive? Is it just describing what happened? I think this is a descriptive moment. I don't think we're being instructed to call curses down on people. And here's why. Here's why. Most of the time, and I would encourage you to do the same, if we look through this lens that is Jesus, if we look through this lens of what did Jesus say, what did Jesus do, it will often put us in the right you know, frame of mind, the right lens to look, look at things. And so when I read this, I immediately thought of Luke 9, and I'm going to read Luke 9 to you, because this, this, is, this is some crazy stuff here. Okay, so this is, this is Luke 9, is, this is Jesus. Okay, Jesus sent his messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival, but the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. Now, when James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and burn them up? (laughs) Should we call down fire from heaven and burn them up? First of all, I got to applaud them for one thing. That's some faith, right? They're hanging out with Jesus and they're like, this guy can do that. Like, I'm with the right guy here. I've seen some stuff. He can call down fire from heaven. All right? But here's the reason why I'm going to use these two verses in, in, in parallel. Because Jesus' response helps us see, hey, was that, is that, is that, is that where we're headed here? And the ver- next verse, verse 55 says, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. And in some manuscripts it says, Jesus said, I am here to build, not to tear down. I am here to build up, not to tear down. 
And so I, I think it's important when we read things like this to go, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I can understand the human emotion of being opposed, being in opposition, being publicly mocked. But we are also called by this guy named Jesus to be different, right? And if we look at Jesus, okay, Jesus was the turn the other cheek guy. Jesus was the guy, if you take my coat, I'll also give you my shirt, the shirt off my back. Jesus was a savior that went to the cross when he had done no wrong. That's the lens. That's the lens. That's the prescriptive rather than the descriptive. And so, you know, I was just looking, looking here, you know, opposition, opposition. We have these honest reactions to opposition. And uh, this time last year, we were having some, some pretty honest conversations in our, in our culture, I would say. Um, we were also having some honest and, and really, I would even use the word debate within new life around what do we open up? When do we go back to having events? When do we go back to, you know, the way we used to do things? How do we honor people? How are we safe? We were asking all those questions, and honestly, we were, we were, we were debating them internally. In fact, particularly in the category of kids camp. Because if you've been around here for any amount of time, you know that North Kitsap takes kids camp pretty seriously. Jesus shows up at North Kitsap kids camp. <laughs> And we just, we just, we love that event. Just seeing the kids hear the story of Jesus, interact, have fun, play. And so we were, we were really in the middle of this, this, this debate. And there were a lot of good points on both sides, whether we should have it, should we, you know, restrict the size, all of these things. Now, look, I'm not on staff anymore, so I'm going to just pull the curtain back on that. I'm going to let, I'm just, I'm going to give you the reel of exactly how this conversation <laughs> happened. <laughs> But it really, it was a moment where we had, a, we had people on both sides going like, I don't think this is a good idea, uh, you know, and, and others going like, this is important. We need to get our families back together. People are saying. So one of the things that we did was we, we called some of you. We said, hey, would this be a good idea? What if we put these guidelines in place, you know, and all of that. So the other opposition that we were facing was, you know, kids camp over the last couple years before COVID was held at the high school. Well, we called the high school and they're like, oh, we're, we're just, we're not ready. We're not ready to, to have this event at the, at the high school. And you guys, you may, some of you may have remembered, I actually got up in front, of, in front of you and said, hey, is there anyone with a yard large enough to host 150 kids? Show it like anybody. It's, it was yeah, about as many hands as those one up in the front row right here. Right? Um, but, but we faced all kinds of opposition. Some, some, were, some were opposition in, in ways of thinking. Some were just logistical. Right? I mean, I, I wrote down so, you know, some of the, the permitting. We just hadn't had events, so the permitting was going to take a, a little bit longer. Um, we, had, we finally found a place, and it was, you know, by the grace of God, we finally found a place to, to have kids camp. But we had some neighbors who uh, weren't as happy about it as everyone else. And we had that opposition. And we had all these components that we were navigating. But at the heart of it, we really felt that God was leading us to try and host this event for these kids. 
And uh, I just remember we were, we were in a, a meeting where we were going, all right, well, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to have it. We've got to have a goal. You know, what's the goal? So normally, North Kitsap, we've, we have a, over 300 kids at kids camp. And we're like, all right, half. Like, if we get 150, total win. Well, last year, we had 212 kids at kids camp. And not only that, we had 46 kids, elementary kids, raise their hand and say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to invite Jesus in their heart. And that's the why. That was the why right there. That was the heart of it. That's why when we met that opposition and when you see opposition, when you feel like God is behind something, when you feel like, ah, I think God placed me right here in this time, in this moment, in this profession, with this boss that you can take heart. He's a precise God. I want to jump back into Nehemiah. I want to read you. Uh, we're in Nehemiah 4 again. Let me jump back here. This one's not going to be on the screen, so you're just going to have to trust me. Um, Nehemiah 4, 10 through 14. So it says, Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired. There's so much rubble to be moved. We'll never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we'll swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came to us and told us again and again, they will come from all directions. They'll attack you. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall and in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then, as I looked over the situation, I called together all the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. That's in there. That's from Braveheart, right? Like, like, you, like you see the parallel, right? <laughs> That's the Braveheart moment of Nehemiah. But the, the thing that I love most about that verse is remember. Remember who God is. He's the same as he was 2,000 years ago, 200 years ago, today and 200 year, years into the future. One of the things that uh, Monica and I do, we've started over the years, we've probably done this, gosh, almost since we're, probably since we're married, which is 16 years. <laughs> I know. Uh, one of the things that we do is we've, we've learned to write, it, we've got a journal, and we write things down when we see a prayer answered or just God show up in some tangible way. And it's pages and pages. I bet it's 20 pages now of God just going, he answers that prayer. He showed up right here. We were praying for direction. We fasted about this and he showed us this way and then this amazing thing happened. Pages and pages and pages. And so one of the things that I would encourage you to do, honestly, I'd encourage you to do that. Even just write down what you're praying about right now. Come back to it in a couple of months. 
And you, I, I'll, I'm telling you, you'll be, able to check, you'll be able to go right down the line. Maybe not everything. It's God's timing. I'm not breaking any promises up here. But I will promise you this. God is good. He loves you. He's in control. And that journal for us is a, is, is a reminder. Remember. Some of the times we pull that out is when we're, if we're faced with, with just a crossroads. Like, what do we do next? Let's remember first who God is. So I just, I just encourage you there. So I just invite the, the band back up. I don't see Peter. In the, he's already, he's one step ahead of me. He always is. He's on his way. I'm going to wrap up with this. I think uh, one of the, the, the response questions, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not on the regular rotation. So at New Life, you've got a, a, they give you notes. They're like, here are the notes. And I'm kind of like, thank you. And I do my thing up here. Um, but one of the, the, the response question for today, I thought it was good. Um, and it is this. It is, what opposition are you facing? And as I thought about that and I prayed about it, I felt like I had to add something to it. It's not just what opposition are you facing. It's who are you facing it with? Who is your with? Because we see in Nehemiah, he's calling everybody. He's like, everybody needs to come back to the city. There's builders over here. I need a person with a spear at their back. I mean, it was a truly who's got your back moment all throughout the city. They're rebuilding the wall around the entire city. Family next to family, next to family, next to family. And there was never such a clear moment of with I know this God's made us as two things one he's made us as, as worshipers we will worship something for your sake I pray that it's Jesus the second one is this he's created us to need one another as hard as it is sometimes he has created us to need one another who is your with when you call in reinforcements like he did who are your armed guards? We are made to do life together. We are made to do life with. Would you stand with me as we wrap up in prayer?